Hi, this is Sophie Hanna, and you're listening to Writer Types. I'm Alifair Burke. I'm Laurie Rader Day. Hey, I'm Lou Bernie. This is Meg Gardner. This is Rachel Housel Hall. That's a good question. That's a compelling question. That's such an interesting question. Really good question. This is Lawrence Block, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome, crime and mystery fans. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and I am thrilled to welcome my special guest co-host today, Wendy Hurd. Thank you for being here, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Wendy is the author of the novels Hunting Annabelle and the brand new book, The Kill Club, which I absolutely loved. This was one of my favorite reads of the year, Wendy, I got to tell you. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It, now, I have to know, is the second book as special as the first or, or is it never going to be quite the same as the first time you ever saw a book with your name on it? So the second book is more special than the first. Oh. I know that's weird. I know it's not usually like that, but it, it is in this case. What makes it so special? Was it the struggle to get the second book finished? <laughs> the second book was a book, I, I was on a two book deal. So they had to buy a second book for me. And I think the only reason I was brave enough to pitch this book was because I had that like confidence, like, well, I have a better chance, I felt like, because they had committed to a second book. So I don't know that I would have even had the courage to put this on submission. It was just kind of personal and like, it was about working class people in Los Angeles and about, it was my first book where I had like been brave enough to write about queer representation. So there was just a lot of personal stuff in there that makes it very meaningful, but also makes it very scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it works. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping uh, there are certain elements of the book that I'm hoping are not the personal stuff. <laughs> what, you know, all the poisonings? Yeah, all, all of the murder. <laughs> 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 the bodies hitting the floor. Yeah. One by one. <laughs> the, the, the stuff that you seem to write with an alarming amount of accuracy. <laughs> I always wonder why no one ever says anything to me about that. Like, I feel like you can read my book and be like, this woman has done a lot of research. Like, I feel, I feel like I don't get questions that I expect. <laughs> well, let's start with the big question here. Have you read anything good lately? Yeah. So there's a book I'm really excited about that's coming out, what, like 10 days behind me or something, 15 days behind me. It's um, called Good Girls Lie by J.T. Ellison. And it's with my same imprint, so I got to read an early copy, and it is just, it's amazing. It's like this private boarding school, and she just does these really interesting things with unreliable narration and hopping from point of view to, you know, timelines. It's just, it's really rad. Well, I know that I've read something great lately, and that was indeed your book, The Kill Club. Now, I don't want to spoil too much about giving away the the plot, but one of the things that I loved about this story was it's this very unique premise of this sort of underground world of of trading murders in in a kind of a twist on strangers on a train, sort of murdering someone that you don't know kind of thing. But it had that quality of, I, I had no idea what was going to happen next. I could not stay out ahead of this book, which to me is the mark of, of a truly great story. And I wonder if you feel kind of the same way I do. Like, do, do we, as crime writers, do we suffer a little bit from being so steeped in this world and reading so many other books that it gets harder and harder to surprise us? 
Absolutely. I struggle with that a lot because I have loved mystery and crime since I was a kid. So I feel like I've seen all the plot twists and it can be hard to try to come up with something that feels unique because nothing's unique. Everything's been told, but it hasn't been told by you. So you're thinking, how can I put a really interesting spin on this or make it it feel like something that you haven't seen before? Well, Job well done. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you with me here co-hosting today, but uh, you are certainly no stranger to the podcast world <laughs> because you have your own show with two other writers called yeah. Unlikable Female Characters that you co-host with uh, Kristen Lepianca and Lane Fargo. Yep. Now, you guys are not shy about giving your full-throated <laughs> opinions on the writing world. <laughs> the funny thing is, I feel like we. I the joke is that there's a lot in the DMs that doesn't make it onto the podcast. Like, I feel like we're pretty gentle compared to the jokes that we have between us. <laughs> that notion of unlikable female characters, you think that is a kind of thing that's, it's almost a relic of the past? At BoucherCon, this question was asked in almost every panel with a woman on it, which was like, I want to write an unlikable female character, but will people buy my book? Or... Why are uh, women looking so unlikable in fiction? Or is it okay to have unlikable female characters? Like this premise is something that people are really asking themselves right now. And we were trying to figure out why. Like, why are we so obsessed with female characters being likable? What even is likability? It's always so so tricky because obviously I have nothing to say about this as a, a white straight male. And I, I feel like it's almost not my place to comment on it, but it is one of those things where like you want to talk about it, you want to get it out in the open and you want to sort of unpack it, like you say, but then at the same time does constantly talking about it and constantly bringing it up almost reinforce it a little? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think that it does feel there were some there are a lot of women writers who just feel like this has been done to death like leave yeah. it alone and just let women write all different kinds of characters and let female characters be all different kinds of things but again and again it, we get asked this question or critiqued on this point anytime you write a female villain you'll get a million critical reviews about it i mean it's just something that women writers get asked about constantly and i think yeah we'd rather not to be honest of course yeah well, I will leave that for you three to uh, solve that problem on, yeah. on your podcast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a big job. I don't think we're up to the task. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk to our first guest. John Vircher, in his debut novel, Three Fifths, has been making a whole lot of best of lists at the end of the year. It's a gritty and emotional story about two childhood friends, one with a real big secret and the lengths that he will go to keep it. This was definitely one of my favorites of the year also. And uh, when you see an author have such a highly praised debut, Wendy, do you uh, get a little jealous? Is it fair to say that? Oh, hell we, yeah. Are you we kidding? We can admit that. Oh, man. And this is a book I'm really jealous of because I feel like he writes this line of crime fiction, literary fiction. He's really unpacking some social issues here. I mean, this is exactly the type of book that I aspire to write. And I am extremely jealous, but in the best way. <laughs> well, let's talk to him about it and take him to task for how damn good he is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, John Vercher, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Writer Types and congratulations on three fifths. Now, you have gotten a lot of praise for this novel. I know I loved it and it's making a lot of uh, year end best of lists. So I, I got to know, like, there's the risk that this could sort of cripple you, but does this inspire and energize you for uh, whatever you're working on now? Well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like just horrifying fear of the sophomore slump to inspire you on the next book. <laughs> but in reality, yes, it's, it's, this has been such an incredible journey and it's, it's funny to call it a journey because it's only been a couple of months, but the, the outpouring of support that I've gotten from this writing community and from readers and, and have, having been so fortunate to get some of the, the critical nods that I've gotten it's been incredibly inspirational because I, I thought this thing was going to sit on my hard drive forever. So it, it gives me the, uh, the confidence to say, okay, well, maybe I can, maybe I can do this again. Well, that's good. I, I remember, I don't know if Wendy, you had the same experience, but my first novel came out and there was sort of a collective shrug. You know, <laughs> sort of had to be like, all right, well, on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think no matter what happens, it's always different in great and horrible ways from what you were expecting. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I Although I, I got to say it in just a, a sense of gratitude. I don't, I, there, so far there hasn't been anything horrible yet. I've, I've been really really fortunate it's but again there is that that fear that okay i i've now i've got something to try to live up to again and, yeah for me it was that book too that was the horrible yeah. the horrible was like oh crap now i have to write another one and yeah. oh no yeah well and it's funny how quickly people start asking about the second one because you're like i, I still kind of want to enjoy this for a little while <laughs> <laughs> well i have a question for you uh this is your debut but you know I don't think any of us usually publish our very first book. Is there another book or other books that are sort of hiding on your shelf slash hard drive? No. So I did, a, this was kind of an all or nothing, although there are the beginnings of several books on my hard drive. So let me get this straight. This is the first novel you actually finished it came out to universal critical praise. Yeah, I think we hate him. Do we hate I, him? I, I think we do. I think so. <laughs> Nothing bad has happened so far, apparently. <laughs> Commence the John Vircher backlash. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, great. I'm sure this podcast will be the beginning of that. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to change uh, my next question to how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> well, so I, let me qualify at least that this, I mean, this story itself was like 20 years in the making. So I don't know if that helps. All right. Uh, good. And, and uh, at least there was some torture along those 20 years where oh, it just yeah. it didn't come. Okay, good. Oh, right. yeah. You're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did yeah, you at least originally... have angst? Yeah. Was there angst along the way? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. um, I'll accept that. I like him again. All right. Yeah. He's back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like this is the quickest podcast i've ever done um, nice talking to you john thanks bye <laughs> yeah that's great uh, no i originally conceived it as a screenplay uh when i was a student at Pitt. you know i was young the writing was dog shit and then it just didn't go anywhere and i kind of just put it aside for a while and then ended up in a career in healthcare for over 10 years but i had always i, I was still a creative at heart and wasn't happy there. And my wife, who's been incredibly supportive through all of this said, you know, you, you need to find a way to get back into the, the things that you love doing. 
and so she encouraged me to go for my MFA. So when I went back for that and got accepted into a program, I decided to make three-fifths my thesis. I, I try not to be jealous all over again because you have a very supportive wife, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll skip over that. I've, I've said many times on this show, my wife does not read my books. So. <laughs> oh, she's my she's my best beta reader. Yeah, she's, oh, she's great. Oh my God. Do you know that my friend Mike Chen and I have an entire Twitter thing that we do called hashtag family blurb, where we create graphics for the horrible things our family members have said about our books? <laughs> <laughs> I could get down on that because she's she. My wife is very honest, which has been super helpful. But she's she'll you know she'll turn up her nose if something's not working, which is great because then it's because she's almost always right. Well, John, three fifths for me. Like I felt like it had a lot to do with relationships that, that we can't break away from, whether you know due to loyalty or circumstance. As you were sort of exploring these kind of themes, why was a crime story the right way for you to tell a story about these kind of connections between characters? So it's funny. I really like your take on that. I don't. So often when I've talked about it, that's not really the thing that's been focused on. And and you're right. It really that was a, a central theme for me. Was this was not just about race and identity, but also about connections and and sometimes the people in our lives that we can't seem to shed. The funny thing is, is I didn't set out to make it a crime novel. I wanted a compelling, inciting incident that put all involved in trouble. And and when I kept trying to think about what would be the, the incident that would really put all of the strain that on these characters' relationships and on their lives that would make it the most interesting, that was the one that, that finally resonated the most with me. I want to ask a little bit about that. Like, so are you happy to be in crime fiction? Do you want to stay in crime fiction? I yeah, because I I I don't know if it's necessarily crime, but maybe more noir. Yeah. Um, I at, at when I was at ThoucherCon, I kind of got a sense that like, oh yeah, I really did write a very noirish book. I wasn't really thinking about classification and where it fit when I wrote it. I just wrote a book I wanted to read. But I'm also noticing that on the second book is also very noirish and, and many of the other ideas that I have uh, that have started on, on uh, other projects are also very much in that, in that realm. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy to be in this, in this community. It was interesting. I mean, I think this being one of the early books on the Agora imprint of, of Polis books, which is set up to be a, a diversity imprint of uh, you know, not just the authors, but the, but the stories that is sort of diverse and, and representative of characters that we don't often see. I think when, when I went into it, I was expecting something that was more singularly focused on that race identity issue. And I, 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 there was, I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that was worried like, okay, am I going to get sort of a lecture for 300 pages about my white privilege uh, and which is not undeserved, I suppose, but the, <laughs> I, I, I was immediately drawn like, oh no, this is like a, this is a gritty crime story and this is my kind of book. I, so I, I think I, my expectations going into it were really upended and I wonder just sort of playing devil's advocate. I'm curious if how a book like this is kind of marketed or presented to readers you know, because I'll, I'll I'll tell you from experience, like if you market a book as straight up noir, you're reducing your sales by eighty percent. 
Interesting. Because there's a, there's, there's a huge part of, of the general reading public who is like, oh, no, I don't like those dark stories. And I don't like that's that's going to be too much of a downer for me or, or whatever it is. Did you talk about how this is going to be presented? Like, not as, hey, this is a hard boiled noir novel, but hey, this is a this is a story about friendship and, and identity and all that stuff wrapped up in, in a crime story. I didn't. There were never conversations about how it was going to be positioned. I mean, I I, I understood why it was seen as a crime novel. Um, I, you know, I, I come from. I tend to read more books like what I wrote. You know, that are that are very, you know, sort of borderline literary. If you you know if, if it has to be classified in any way, those are always the books I'm interested in reading, and those are always the books I'm interested in writing. To your point, I don't. Uh, I don't want to just be pigeonholed as noir either for, for the exact reason that you said, you know, some people tend yeah. to shy away from the darkness. So I don't know if it's avoidable. Right. I mean, like, I, yeah, you're probably right. I think there's, I think there's just, it's a coin and there's two sides to it. And some people are going to, there are some people that are going to shy away from it, but, but I think the same is true for really any genre or any book that's grouped into a, a, a certain classification, which is kind of the struggle of, writing in general, right? I mean, like, why yeah. Why can't books just be books that are about this thing and this topic and it doesn't have to fit into a certain category? No, it's a, it's a great question. We go through that a lot. Like, this is my – the book I have coming out this year is a book with, like, you know, my queer representation in it and the last one wasn't. And I am seeing a difference in the way it's discussed in that it's like, oh, this is a great book to put on your LGBT bookshelf. And it's like, well – Okay. You know, there's a lot, it's a total like back and forth on that where you're like, I mean, I'm glad that you're calling out the representation in the book, but it's a thriller, you know, like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is kind of icky in the way people, uh, they do pigeonhole things like that. So John, you yourself have two sons and I'm curious after writing a story like this about, uh, you know, two males and, and the struggles they go through. I mean, what, what do you want them to know about the kind of male relationships that you write about in this book? Because I mean, these, these two guys that you write about, not always the best examples of how to behave <laughs> necessarily. So what do I want them to, that's, oh man, that's a good question. I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a tiny question. Yeah, but it's not like it has impact on your yeah, real life. No, not at all. Yeah. It's like you didn't save the, no, no softballs for me today, apparently. Um, <laughs> I think, what I would want them to take from it is the same as what I want readers to take from it. And that's to beware of the toxicity that certain people can bring into your life. And that while it may be painful to extract yourself from it because you have this certain affection for them because of how long you've known them and, and you, you, but there's certain things about them that you didn't know that it's the consequences of not extracting yourself from those kind of situations can be obviously in this case, pretty dire, you know, because it's, it's sort of impossible to know everything about everyone. Even some of the people that are closest in your lives, especially if they're good at keeping secrets. So John, I would, I wonder if you would agree. I would say that at its heart, this book is about identity. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, is that where this idea started for you? Or could you talk a little bit about the issues of identity in this book? Yeah, it, it started in a, from a couple of different sources. The, the, the idea itself sort of generated from a class that I was taking as a student at the University of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It was studies in, in black cinema. 
And one of the movies that the professor had us watch was Imitation of Life, which was uh, also mm-hmm. based on a book. And it's, it was, she was introducing us to the concept of the tragic mulatto. And as a mixed race man, I had never heard of that at that point and, and was uh, obviously pretty uh, impacted by that concept and certainly by that movie. And, and it was impactful for me because at that time in my life, I was also dealing with sort of questions of identity for myself and trying to figure out who I was and where I fit. You know, I've always said that when you, from a very young age, when you hear the question, what are you? After a while, you start asking yourself that question. I have a mixed race daughter and I got asked that question a lot when she was little. What is she? Mm-hmm. Like, well. It's like, she's a human being. <laughs> she's my daughter. Yeah, she's, <laughs> I don't know what Right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, John, uh, this has been excellent. I, I thank you for coming on the show and congratulations on the book. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the praise is all well-deserved and, and you've earned it. Although I will say, I think Wendy and I are going to be waiting in the wings for your inevitable sophomore slump. There's no way you can top this. Just deal with it. Uh, I'm pretty much resigned to that fact. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot anyway. We'll see. Hopefully if, if you two will buy it, then I'll be happy. Well, John is uh, too nice of a guy for me to be too mad at him for for very long uh, about his success, Wendy. Don't you agree? Yeah, and when you hear how long it took him to write that book and you realize how qualified he is, he has an MFA, I mean, I guess you can I guess you can feel better about it. I'm still really jealous though. Like still is that okay? Yeah, no, it's it's all right. Okay. This is a safe space. All right. <laughs> Well, Wendy, as much as I'm enjoying talking to you, it's time for me to step out for a minute and go talk with our resident reviewers, the Malmans. Have you met Dan and Kate Malman? I don't think so. Well, you really ought to sometime if you get a chance. If you ever find yourself in Minnesota, drop on by. The last time I was there, I uh, crashed on their couch and they were totally fine with it. So, As long as it's not in the winter, because I would get naturally selected out of Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota is not a place for a native Angelino to be. <laughs> no. You're like, what is this shit? It's cold. Are my feet going to like fall off? It feels very cold and painful. Well, I am here with Dan and Kate Malman all the way from sunny Minnesota. It's great to be talking with you guys again. It's nice to talk to you again. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Good. Well, now, listen, I will admit I have never in my life been in a book club before. Have you guys? Nope. No, it's I, I was drawn to books originally because it's a solitary affair. Exactly. It's it seems weird to, to overanalyze something, especially I feel I feel strange when you're in the middle of something and you get together and you talk about like, well, you've read the first five chapters. What do we think? And it's like, well, just calm down and finish the book. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, but now we're in a book club together, all three of us. So Yay. we're going to have to learn to love it. <laughs> Did you bring cookies for us? Uh, I did, and they were delicious. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since this is officially the first meeting of the Writer Types Book Club, I want to talk about two books that you guys have been reading. And first, let's talk about a book that doesn't come out until next February, Pretty as a Picture by Elizabeth Little. Now, Kate, you've been reading that one, right? Yes, I have. I'm immediately into this novel because it's about a film editor, which, of course, is my day job, as you know. But uh, it sounds like the the film production in this novel does not exactly go smoothly. No, it doesn't. Um, When the editor, Melissa, shows up 
production assistants have been quitting. People have been fired. People just leave. Yeah, it's kind of doomed the minute she shows up. <laughs> and of course, death and mayhem ensues, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the the movie that she's working on is based on a murder that occurred and then then a murder does occur. A, a lot of chaos ensues as a result of that. Well, now I know Elizabeth Little. She lives out here in Los Angeles. And uh, frankly, I'm a little insulted that she did not call me for any research questions on the editing really? portion of this book. <laughs> Uh-oh, you're going to have to take that up with her next time you see her. Well, should I tell her that uh, that we love the book, or or is is this a how do you rate this one? This one, I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. It's a real easy, light read. Um, the protagonist Melissa is delightfully awkward. Um, she even jokes that she herself can't tell a joke, and I can immediately relate to that. That I I absolutely fail when it comes to telling jokes. So I. <laughs> This protagonist like hit very, very close to home. Really? A a film editor who's socially awkward. That's so uh, unbelievable. (laughs) I would have never, never (laughs) thought that was, you know, typecast or anything. No. Someone who likes to sit alone in a dark room all day. Who would have thought they couldn't interact with people very well? Yeah. Now, uh, would you recommend this for fans of what other author or or types of books? Um, I think if you enjoyed the Jess Lowry Murder by Month, series. Ah. Um, you would really enjoy this. Well, now, Dan, you read The Swallows by Lisa Lutz. And uh, I know, I know, Kate, you really loved her book, The Passenger, last year. And uh, Dan, yeah. had, you, had you read that one? Um, I read The Passenger, and I've read um, a good number of, of her original ongoing series. The Spellman. Spellman. Right. Yeah. Her writing really just grabs you because it feels so natural. Oh, yeah. Now, this one takes place at a prep school, Stonebridge Academy, and male and female students are pit against each other. Students and faculty are at odds. It it seems like she's portraying this sort of elite academic environment as a pretty vicious place, right? Yeah. So like the the tone, it's kind of like a like a twisted Wes Anderson type of film, you know, uh, where everything is just slightly canted off key. Um, and her writing is funny and the situations are, um, sometimes ludicrous, but it all has this, this underlying realness and heart. And then by the time you realize that, um, the stakes keep getting cranked higher and higher with this, um, sort of a, a gender warfare, uh, right versus wrong that now the stakes are so high, you can't put it down and it's, it's no longer funny. And yeah, it, I think it's important to know, like when you're reading it, you are laughing out loud at, at the situations and the characters and the people behaving badly. You know, the people that like a chuckle, you know, and, and, and appreciate a wry um, turn of phrase are absolutely going to love the book. Great. Well, it sounds like Franklin has some opinions on this book, too. Absolutely. He is. <laughs> he's just not going to tolerate it. And uh, that's all there is to it. But who doesn't love a chuckle? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Franklin. Right, exactly. <laughs> is this a very much like a 2019 sort of hashtag Me Too kind of story? I hesitate to to categorize things like that, but it it it's political in the sense that it's what's happening is wrong. It's very much the era of boys will be boys and teenage hijinks. Call it call it what it is. It's it's just wrong and. This group of students finds out exactly what's been happening, then they're just not going to put up with it. Uh, but all of that is set against this preppy New England uh, prep school. 
how does this relate to your own school experience, Dan? <laughs> it's hard to say since my school experience was uh, basically took place from inside of a locker. So <laughs> my school experience was very dark and echoey. And there was four slanted bars of light that I could see by. <laughs> well, now, when one of you guys reads a book that you really love, do you immediately pass it on to the other one? Or as you're reading it, are you giving out so many spoilery details that the other person doesn't have to read it by the time you're done? I think a sign of when one of us really enjoys a book, we'll read passages to the other one. Oh, So it's a lot of like, hey, listen to this. Hey, listen to this. So then when we do read it, You've heard half the book already. <laughs> and how often are there fights uh, when, when something comes into the house that you you have to duke it out to see who gets at it first? I mean, it it depends what's uh, how much the real world is creeping in. If work life is just crazy, then she's stealing books from me and vice versa. So, Well, Dan, of course, the correct answer is Kate has first choice with whatever she wants. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's why it's called an unwritten rule. It's unspoken. Ah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys have a great holiday filled with great reading. And we're going to be back for another meeting of the Writer Types Book Club in January. And I can't wait to hear what you guys have read next. Fantastic. Awesome. This was a blast. Excellent. Well, Wendy, have you read anything by Lisa Lutz or Elizabeth Little before? The Swallows has been on my TBR for so long and it keeps getting bumped and it's sitting on my desk torturing me. Have you read it? I have not yet. I've read some of her other stuff, some of her Spellman uh, books, but uh, yeah, the, and it sounds like The Swallows is uh, is one that we both needed to get on right away. And Elizabeth Little is another uh, Angelino. I've uh, I've hung out with her a little bit. I've I've been to her uh, to her house and uh, can attest that she is uh, both a quality writer and a quality human. That's really cool. I didn't realize she was in LA. I'm going to have to make friends with her. Well, okay, it's time for our next guest, Tori Eldridge. Her debut novel, The Ninja Daughter, introduces us to Lily Wong, uh, who is, you know, your typical biracial ninja vigilante. You know the type, Wendy. Sure, we see them all the time in crime fiction. Wendy, do you uh, happen to know any martial arts? <laughs> all right, I can't even walk without falling. Are you kidding me? I went, actually did take kickboxing one time. And I've never made anyone as angry as I made this poor teacher. Like, I'm not coordinated. <laughs> well, uh, not, not to rub in the fact of how uncoordinated you are, but you recently had a run-in with a ladder, didn't this you? This is not my fault. This is not <laughs> my fault. I was just standing there, and the ladder fell on my head, and I am recovering from a concussion, like a full-on concussion. <laughs> These are the perils of the holiday decorating season. So here's the thing. My spouse is the one who dropped the ladder on me. Oh. And I was like, okay, first of all, you picked the wrong person to attempted murder because I <laughs> will get my revenge. I can and I will, and no one will ever find me. <laughs> Except now I've said it on a podcast, so damn it. Well, but you recognize the signs. The minute it happened, were you like, oh, this was no innocent accident? I was like, rookie move, a ladder. Okay, first of all, you're going to need something a lot worse than a ladder to take me out. Second of all, more creativity, please. I feel like I deserve a much more interesting murder than a ladder. Well, maybe Tori can teach you a few ninja moves to defend yourself next time. That's fair. That would be great. Ask her about that. (laughs) 
Tori Eldridge, welcome and hello, uh, or should we say aloha, I guess. Always aloha. Yes. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, now, your new book, The Ninja Daughter, you, you've basically written an autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Wong, she's a, a mixed race martial artist who kicks a lot of ass. So rather than try to run down the parts of her that are like you, I think it's going to be a shorter list to talk about the ways that she might be different from you. You know, you're probably right. And no, she is definitely not me. Uh, thank goodness my life has been a lot more peaceful. And <laughs> but, you know, Lily, once her sister is murdered, her life gets derailed and she goes full on to, into this protector of women mode. So she's got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot more trauma and excitement and danger going on in her life than I do. So yay for that. And although her mother is Chinese um, from Hong Kong, and her father is Norwegian from North Dakota. And my mom is Chinese Hawaiian from Maui and my dad's Norwegian from North Dakota. Believe me when I say these are not the same people, nor are her relationships with her parents the same as mine were. In a good way, though, I hope. I, it's just different. Lily is a very different character. And so when it came time to building these relationships, and of course, that's a huge part of the book is this family cultural dynamic. Those people and the way they interact with each other, it was organic to her and them. And it just, it was quite a discovery for me. Well, it's good to know that you're not quite as uh, maybe violent and vengeful as Lily. So the next time I see you, I don't have to be afraid. <laughs> well, I mean, she has to say that and she can't admit it. It's true. Oh my. <laughs> Shh. Hush. <laughs> Wendy, I paid you to hush. <laughs> Girl, I can't even do a cartwheel. I used to be able to. I'm definitely afraid to try it now after the hip replacement. Yeah. I almost fell down the stairs today. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little moment of indecision. Did that whole turn this way, turn that way, turn this way. Now it's fine. Step backwards and stepped off two steps instead of one. Oh, my gosh. I, it was quite a jolt when I was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't fall down these stairs. That'd be so bad. <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't fall down the stairs today. Thank you. <laughs> It would be very un-ninja-like of me. I don't know how I would spin that into something smart. Well, that's, I, when you said that, that's what I was thinking. It's like if anybody could get themselves out of that situation and turn tumbling down the stairs into some fancy double somersault move, it would be you. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It would be harder to make claim to that, though, if I had broken my ankle. Right. <laughs> yeah, so since you're definitely uh, not wink-wink a vigilante, wink-wink, um, <laughs> You do have a background in performing art and dance and acting. Can you tell me how that works with your very cinematic sort of writing style? Does this, do you think that informs your writing style? Oh, interesting question. You know, I think it does because starting as an actor you know, and a dancer and a singer, but mostly as an actor, you know, I really am body things, I become them. And so when I'm writing characters, that's the way in which I do it. And then when I started writing, it was through screenwriting. That was my medium, this, this visual story, this, this sense of getting into scenes and chapters at the last possible moment and escaping, you know, right at the, the, the best time and getting out there and keeping the pace going. That was something that when I switched over into novel writing, I think I just naturally brought that with me. I had the same thing. I mean, my background is in screenwriting and yeah, I, I went to film school. So I think the, you, I can I feel like I can always tell on the page, the people that sort of come at it from a screenwriting or, or that more cinematic 
uh, point of view. And more often than not, those are the books that I prefer. <laughs> oh, oh, good. <laughs> well, you know, something I like about that is the ability to really be able to, to get in there and to see things. And I think it's that um, kind of lush economy of words you know, where you can be descriptive, but you can keep that pace going, which for me with a action thriller that had so many uh, deep character relationships, that was a real important thing. Well, I will admit I am someone who knows nothing of the martial arts. So I feel like I've, I've missed out and, and I should have maybe a move or two in my back pocket if I'm ever attacked in a dark alley. So what do you think is the one move that you could tell me that I need to know to protect myself? Mm, try not to be there. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's number one in self-defense. You know, you want, you want to win in a fight, don't be there. And that has an emotional and a physical aspect, a component to it. That said, you know, maybe uh, keep your hands up, move your feet, bend your knees. <laughs> as far as a specific thing, you and I, next time we see each other, I'll hook you up. <laughs> I picture like a lot of poking. Do you feel like poking is a, is a good way to get an attacker off of you? I like poking, especially cool. in soft, squishy parts, uh, eyeballs, uh, nostrils, ooh, the, the gums in the mouth. Ew. Take a fingernail. Yeah, you, you wouldn't normally think of this, but if you, if you dig your thumbnails into a person's mouth and dig into the gums, oh my goodness, the response you'll get. Yikes. All these little places are, are fun. You could ask them to hold really still and poke them in the balls. Just be like, hold still. I have to. <laughs> Ooh, you know what's really great that people don't think of? Pinch the smallest amount of skin that you can in that area. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Mm. trust me on this. Have you done this? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> it brings a violently sudden reaction. <laughs> Well, you mentioned something that I, I find very interesting when you said don't be there emotionally. And I th I think I've never really thought of it in that sense. But I th a lot of the guys that I've seen who always seem like they're itching for a fight mm. and that, that's they bring that, you know, toxic masculinity or whatever you want to overdose of testosterone. And, and you're sort of like, oh, that guy again or whatever. But I, I, I think you're right. Like I've been in situations that could have escalated into a fight, but I, that's just sort of not me. I'm, that's exactly what it is. It's like just at an emotional point, I'm going to do everything I can to diffuse the situation or walk away because I don't want to go there. I mean, I think that it, to get back to the, to the book, I mean, Lily is someone who, you know, maybe lets her emotions take over more, more than maybe she should. Yeah. She's young. <laughs> She's 25. I, I really love writing about people that age because they've got so much going on. Um, they've got so much wisdom, so much uh, power, so much investigation. They're changing, they're exploring, and yet they're constantly hmm, making some mistakes, having some errors. I find them that to be a really interesting age. And um, yeah, she does. She does get caught up in her in her emotions, and it is something that her teacher is trying to help her through, and she's aware of it. And sometimes um, she does a better job than other times in de-escalating and not being there. And then sometimes, uh, yeah, she just gets right to the point and gets the job done. I do more of the de-escalation, me personally, but then I'm a lot older. <laughs> 
<laughs> and wiser. <laughs> This started out as a short story, I heard. It did. So how did you know you wanted to turn it into a novel or that it even had enough plot to be a novel? Funny enough, it actually started as a 200-word thriller challenge. <laughs> really? Then, yeah, how strange. You know, uh, I just took that challenge and, and did that, and it turned into a very pivotal scene in the book. And as soon as I wrote that, I knew exactly who she was talking to. I could see it and I could see the, the predicament and I knew where it was going and I knew it had to be a novel. Wow, from 200 words to 300 pages. That's, that's an impressive leap. Yeah, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Wendy have both written characters who take matters into their own hands. And there's something that's so appealing about a character like that who, who can seek justice you know, without help of the law or, or any other outside forces. I mean, wh why do you think that appeals to us as, as readers so much, that kind of character? I think it's empowering. I think it's empowering to, to feel that we have control. And so when we're in the world of fiction, we're able to live vicariously through that sense of empowerment that, yes, I can do this, I can get this done, I can solve this mystery, I can dive into this conspiracy, I can deal with these attackers, I can protect the people that I love. Things like that is very important, and I think that's what fiction is so great, right? Being able to live vicariously. Wendy, was that, did you have the same experience? Were you, were, were you living a little bit through the through the book and and maybe releasing a little uh, excess steam <laughs> I don't think so I think for me it was like I had compiled all these stories all the, I had been interviewing people about the ways that justice had failed them or like that the system had failed them and I I was really trying to ask the question like what are people supposed to do what are they supposed to do and if you leave it like this here's what might happen and how do we feel about that so I think it was like less empowering and more like you see this is the only option you have left people sort of a thing yeah I, th I think if if I was in a situation like that I before I went and and traded murders with somebody else I might call Lily and say hey can you handle this for me yeah now that we, well or Tori I mean excuse me Lily <laughs> oh yeah no, call sorry. Lily <laughs> sorry Lily another book to write <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as the person that you want to get rid of is not at the bottom of a flight of stairs, Tori is your gal. <laughs> oh, you're mean. <laughs> so I feel like I haven't seen a lot of women ninjas in popular culture or on the screen. I'm wondering if you have any women ninjas that you particularly love that have showed up in fiction or in, in movies that you'd like to highlight, or do you have any thoughts on that? One of my objectives of this book was to show this modern portrayal of what being ninja might look like, because I think what most people, certainly what I had seen before I actually began training in the ninja arts, came from, you know, fantasy, yeah, fiction, movies, you know, ridiculous comedies. So I wanted to show something that was like, no, you know, what, what does this look like if you actually trained in the ninja martial arts and you lived in a contemporary, urban, gritty city and you were, you know, you were wanting to be a protector of people? 
and some like me who train with uh, Stephen K. Hayes and his wife, Rumiko Hayes, who founded the modern evolution of ninjutsu called Toshindo. That's the one that I hold a fifth degree black belt in. So the head of our lineage is co-founded by a man and a woman. Oh my goodness, there are powerful women all throughout the organization. We, we are out there. Kunoichi is what we call you know, Lady Ninja. And believe me, um, we are in power out there in the shadows. Well, I got to say, you are the first uh, fifth degree black belt we've had on the show. <laughs> Thank you for doing it, Tori. Well, groovy, groovy. It was loads of fun. Well, Wendy, that's it. You uh, survived an episode, and it was just that simple. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I've never uh, co-hosted someone else's podcast before. I I hope I did okay. You did fantastic. Uh, And I want to say it again to everyone listening that The Kill Club is hot off the presses now and is definitely uh, on my favorites of the year list. So congratulations. And we have a special giveaway one lucky writer types listener is going to find out for themselves how great this book is Ooh. because I happen I happen to have a signed copy of the book that we're going to give away over on Twitter. So find and follow us over there at writer types. Tell us that you heard the show and scream that you want a copy and one winner will be picked at random for your very own autographed copy of The Kill Club. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you and thanks to everyone for listening. You can subscribe at wherever you get your podcast, and we always appreciate a rating. We're going to be back in January with more special guest hosts and more fantastic authors. Wendy, have a great holiday. Protect that head, and thanks for helping me out today. Thank you so much for having me. 